How's everybody doing tonight? I'm doing good. Good to see y'all. So I'm Hazen Stevens. I'm one of the pastors at Gate City Church. Are there a few guys in here that come on Sunday with us? I see a few faces out there. Now y'all make sure you come and say hi to me on Sunday, all right? Just don't pretend like, hey, we don't know that guy. Um, I, I, you guys usually come to our house on Sundays, so I like to come here occasionally to your house on Fridays, and I've been here maybe a handful of times, and every time it's something special. I was going to preach the message that I was basically preparing for this coming Sunday. You guys were going to get a preview of it. And then as I was driving over here, God began to speak to me about a verse that I I spent some time in this week. And I just want to preface by saying, you know, different times you kind of preach a message and it's something that's on your heart, okay, that God is doing in you to give to someone else. And then there are other times that God gives you a specific message because the people you're going to share with need to hear it. And I feel like tonight is a night where there's some people very specifically in this room that need to hear what the Spirit of God is going to say through me to you, and you need to be prepared in your heart to respond, right? And there's something powerful about the Word of God, that when the Word of God is spoken, right, we we are presented with an option. It's like a fork in the road, right? Jesus actually describes, he says, there's a broad path that leads to destruction and a narrow road that's very difficult that leads to life. And I feel like many in this room have had different opportunities where you've had to choose the broad and the narrow path. And it's not a one-time decision because once you set your feet on that path, you have to keep moving that direction, especially the difficult narrow path if you want to end in your destination. That, that parable, that illustration is so important because it indicates to us it's not exactly like we pray a prayer one time and then that means we've got our ticket punched to heaven. If you want to arrive at a destination, you have to put your feet on the path and persevere until you finally arrive there. Thank you so much, brother. And the same is true the the broad, easy way, right? And some in this room, you've already made the decision. You've switched from that broad path, and you've decided you're going to begin to walk down the narrow road. And it maybe even took a minute to walk back the other direction and get on the right path. Nobody here knows what I'm talking about. And... But the fact that that path is difficult and narrow requires perseverance. There's a certain difficulty with following Jesus sincerely that means you constantly have to make that decision to keep moving, sometimes to get up when you've fallen down, sometimes you're just crawling, okay? But as long as you're still moving on that narrow path, you're headed the right direction towards your destination, towards that heavenly city of Zion. So I think tonight is a a moment for some people in this room to get off the broad path and get onto the narrow path. I think for some in this room, you've been on the narrow path, but the narrow path is so difficult you've been considering quitting. And God sent me here tonight to encourage you that though the way is difficult, the reward is worth it. And what we lose sight of in this life is because it can seem so dim, we lose sight of the reward of eternity. We lose sight of the precious gift of the person of Jesus, which if you really know him, he will be the most important relationship in your entire life. You know, so many of us, I think, have an idea of who Jesus is, but we don't actually know Jesus. And you can learn a lot about someone without actually knowing them. Have you ever Facebook stalked a friend of a friend? You can learn about the kind of food that you can learn what they had for dinner. 
You can learn, you can learn where they went that day. You can learn a whole lot about, you can learn a whole lot about Jesus from this book, but not actually know him. And there's some people in this room, you don't just need the head knowledge of who Jesus is. You need a personal encounter with him in your heart where his spirit comes in and renews and changes who you are and makes you a new person and makes you clean. That's the promise of the gospel that Jesus Christ died and suffered on that cross so that your flesh, which all of us have a flesh nature, that's the sinful, greedy, lustful, that part of you that's so broken, that part of you that got you bound up in addiction and pain in the first place. And that part of you, he wants to put that sinful part of you to death by faith. But praise God, there's not just a sinful part that's dying, but there's a righteous part that's being resurrected. And that's the promise that if you're willing to go into the terrifying place of that tomb where your sinful nature is put to death, there's an opportunity to come out the other side in resurrection, life, and glory. And that's the promise of the gospel, that if you put your faith in Jesus, he puts to death the sinful parts of you in your heart as you walk with him. But he also brings forth redemption and glory in your life. But that doesn't happen just by knowing things about him. It happens because you know him. It happens because you have his spirit in your heart. It happens because you're surrendered and you've committed to that narrow road. So if you have a Bible, turn with me. That was just a warm-up lap. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself here in a minute. But uh, Matthew 11, verse 28 is going to be our text tonight. It's probably a verse that many of you guys have heard before. But my prayer is that it wouldn't just be Hazen Stevens speaking it to you tonight, but that I would speak as an oracle of the Spirit of God that you would actually hear Jesus whispering these words to your heart. Because some of you need to hear from him, not just me. So if you would, just open your heart even right now to the Spirit of God as we pray. Holy Spirit, I ask right now, I thank you that you have command over this room. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that there is an evil one who goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone whom he may devour. I thank you, God, that the places where evil is hunted men and women in this room, you brought a word tonight that would shut the mouth of lions, God. I thank you, Father, for a delivering anointing over people's minds, Lord, where they would even come into a peace that they've never had before. They'd come into a rest that they've never had before, that they'd come into a confidence that they never had before, that Jesus is real and that he loves them. That Jesus is real and that he speaks. That Jesus is real and that he's inviting them to come to him. And so I ask even right now that you would make the person in the presence of God so tangible in this room. That even people would begin to be overwhelmed with his manifest presence. That we would begin to taste something that we would say, what is this joy? What is this peace? What is this conviction? It's so clean. It's so righteous. That kind of power and presence, Holy Spirit, something beyond my ability to conjure with words, I ask you to put it in this room because there's people you want to draw nigh unto yourself. So come, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of our Father in heaven, Spirit of glory and grace. We yield. I yield this room to you. Let darkness scatter in your presence, Lord. Let confusion lift off people's minds. And let peace reign. Let the rest of God reign in this place. Just affirm, even with this, this last moments of this prayer, the supremacy of Jesus. And we just say together, we open our hearts to hear from you, Jesus. You're a real man. You have real desire for people in this room. 
Would you let your desire and your love be felt? Let that, the thing that drove you to the cross for humanity's sake, the love that you have for us, let it be felt in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I grew up going to Calvary Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia. Do we have anybody here that knows anything about Calvary Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia? Um, I, it was a little, little Calvary church up on a hill, and I can remember going to that church, and, uh, and the, I had a question, which was, is God real? And I remember sitting in the office of that pastor at that church, and he... he walked me up to the window and he said, look outside and I can remember it like it was yesterday. And there was pine, pine trees out there and pine, uh, pine needles all over the ground and blue sky and birds and looked across the parking lot. And he said, who created those trees? Who made the sky and who made those birds? He said, creation tells us that there's a creator. And that was good enough for me, my little seven, eight-year-old heart. <laughs> I was persuaded God is real. And that faith never departed from me. I was always convinced there is a God. There, there is a creation and there's clearly a creator. This order did not come from disorder. What we see didn't come from, from just a, a chaos, an explosion somewhere out in the cosmos. We are created in the image of God. And so I was persuaded of that. But I, along the journey, got all kinds of pluralistic beliefs. Pluralism is... This idea that there are many roads to the same destination, that whether it's Muhammad or Taoism or Confucianism or Buddhism or Hinduism, they all essentially espouse the same thing. But the problem is when you get to heaven, Buddha's not going to be there. <laughs> when you stand before Almighty God, there's only going to be one man who actually came as the incarnation, God who put on flesh in the person of a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth, and he's the one who lived sinlessly as the savior of the world, and he's the only one the scripture says is appointed to judge the earth. So we get these ideas all mixed in along the way because people kind of, the devil's a good liar, and, and we get this idea that, that things are in form essentially the same, but the spirit is not the same. And a half-truth is not a truth at all. And so I had these confusing pluralistic views, but then as I was praying in a challenging season of my life, I return to the faith of my youth. And some of you in this room know what I'm talking about. You've entered into a challenging season in your life and you're thinking about the Bible stories that you used to hear at Vacation Bible School. And there's an appeal and an invitation in them that maybe you haven't heard before because you've been busy living your best life without God. But now you're struggling and you're challenged and you're remembering the God of your mother and your father. <laughs> the one that you grew up hearing about in Sunday school, and you're questioning, is, is he really real? And you're asking that question, and that's the season that I was in. I was going, is Jesus really real? And if he's real, what do I need to believe about what he says about himself? Because he says these outlandish things, like I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And if that's really real, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or it's true. And if it's true, I have to grapple with it, and it means it's him and nobody else. You follow me? And so I'm asking him, are you real? Is, when I pray to God, am I, when I pray to Jesus, is it really the same as praying to God? Are you really who this book says you are? And I'm praying, and I can tell you the, the uh, 
basement apartment in college. I'm walking down the hallway. The bathroom's on the right. There's a window on the left. And I have a flash of a vision in my mind as clear as I was watching a movie. And in this vision, I see this Jewish carpenter, this man, Jesus. I know that it's Jesus. And I see him suffering, bloodied, beaten, far more graphic and horrifying than the passion of the Christ. His face ripped off and torn up, his body bruised, beaten, stripped, and broken. And I not only see it, but I feel the emotion of his suffering and his pain. And then I hear the voice of the Father. And the Father, I know it's God the Father, he says, if there were another way, why would I have done this to my son? If you could follow the tenets of Islam, why would I come in the flesh, suffer and die, if you could be morally pure enough to get your way into heaven? If you could meditate your way into heaven, why would I have done this to my son? If you could, some people think, I, you know, you'd go out and do evangelism, I'll go, you know, do you know if you're going to heaven and why do you? And I've had people say all kinds of things to me. Like, I'm a good person, I give beer to my neighbors when they need it. <laughs> I'm mostly good. And we kind of have this idea that there's this scale when we get up to heaven, right? And on the scale, if I put enough good things on one side, hopefully the good things will cancel out the bad. And, you know, if it tips just the right way, ding, 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 you know, you may pass and you, and you enter into the, the, through the pearly gates, right? But that's not how it works. Try going before a just judge when you've been indicted of a crime and explain to the judge, well, I did these two or three good things, so shouldn't that cancel out the bank that I robbed? Or shouldn't that cancel out the speeding ticket that I got? How far are you going to get with that argument in a court of law? Not too far. I can tell a few people in here know from experience, perhaps. <laughs> that the good that you do in, a, in, in the eyes of a just judge, he's there to rule according to the law. And we have a law in this book, the Ten Commandments. It's also intuitively written on our hearts. Don't steal, don't lust, honor your mother and father. I always get busted on for that one. People say, oh, I, I, I'm mostly a good person. I'm going, have you always honored your mother and your father in every situation? You know, the Bible also says there's sins of the heart and sins of the hands, right? Like, do not covet. That's a sin of the heart leading to a sin of the hands, stealing. And so if we were to hold our lives up to the Ten Commandments, you would see in every way you are guilty. In every way, your heart is unclean and your hands are unclean. But thank God, there's not a scale in heaven holding the good and the bad waiting to see if your good outweighs your bad, because if that were the case, none of us would get in. None of us would get in. Because you've done far more unholy, unclean, defiling, wicked, vile things than you have righteous. And even the things that are good, you've done mostly because you're self-interested. You did it to feel good about yourself. No, the only way for the bad to be taken off that scale is for somebody to say, credit those things to my account. And that's what Jesus did. 
He said, you deserve the death penalty. You know what? I'm going to step right into that place, and I'm going to let my hands that only ever healed people be nailed to that cross, these feet that only ever brought good news nailed to the post, these lips that only ever spoke mercy and grace down to his dying breath. For Father, forgive them. Know not what they do. Let that man be spat upon, stripped naked, where there should have been a crown of gold, a crown of thorns, and that vision that I saw of his suffering more descriptive than, more vivid than I can describe to you today the reality that this Jewish carpenter it's crazy I know that he was God and he died on the cross and if you believe that that he rose again and is the one that is ultimately going to judge humanity because he was righteous he was pure and none of us are this man who is the judge said let me take the penalty and we're arrogant enough as people to say I'd prefer to do it another way I'd rather figure it out on my own. And in the text that we're talking about tonight, Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus says, I'll read it to us and then I'll break it down. Come to me. Come to me. This is a good offer, guys. <laughs> Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he uses an agricultural reference that I'll break down here in a moment. He says, take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I loved the way that you guys always do the, the graduations where people stand up and they say, how much they appreciate this program, how much they appreciate their friends, how regretful they are for the things that they've done wrong to their families, and how grateful they are for the support of the loved ones that have helped them through this challenging moment. And it's in points of inflection like that that you get to hear what life is really about, right? Like, nobody's standing up here going, you know, I can't wait to get back to my car and my apartment and my comfortable life, because that's not really what's at our, in the heart of hearts, we know that that's not really what's most important. And everybody kind of intuitively knows that. And in moments like this, we get to remember it, but then we go back to the grind of our lives and the rat race and we tend to forget, right? But what Jesus says in this passage, it's this same idea that there is a tough world out there and, and life is hard, how many in this room know that life can be hard sometimes? I mean, only that many in an addiction recovery program. <laughs> How many people know that life can be hard sometimes? Maybe this is good landing recovery, right? <laughs> I'm not talking to the wrong room, am I? Weary and heavy laden. Life can be exhausting. It can be just the basic things of life, your job, managing your kids, trying to, if you love Jesus, trying to be faithful to him, and the devil's always trying to destroy your life. If you don't love Jesus yet, you're on your own. You don't have a guide. You don't have a direction. You don't have a spirit to give you wisdom, and you're just trying to figure it out the best you can to survive, to fight. Some people are better fighters than others, right? But even the very best fighters for them, this life is wearying. You, know, you think about Donald Trump, that guy's a fighter, right? But man, I bet that guy's tired. 
and then heavy laden. Life can be exhausting and it can be heavy. The troubles and cares and worries. Who in this room, just consider, have you ever struggled with anxiety? What is anxiety? It means that the the challenges of life, the things you're concerned about, all the different things that you don't know how it's going to turn out and it keeps you up at night and you're not able to sleep because you're not sure maybe how this medical situation is going to turn out or you're not sure how your bills are going to get paid or you're not sure about this relationship and what's going to happen and it's heavy on your mind and it's heavy on your heart and you're just living day in and day out and you're weary and life is heavy and Jesus says, If you'll come to me, I've got a different way for you to live. He actually says in this verse, come to me and I will give you rest. Can I tell you from all my religious exploration, no religion can truly give you rest. It can only give you more things to keep yourself busy with. But there is a person, there is a person that can give you rest for your soul. He can take your sinfulness and brokenness away. He can soothe your anxiety like he can quiet a storm. He can give you beauty for ashes. He can redeem that broken relationship. He can fix the problem that you have with your spouse or your children. He can deliver you of that addiction. He can take the heavy, the heavy and the weary, and he can turn it into rest. Hallelujah. But there's a condition to this promise. First, you have to come to him. So if you haven't in this room come to him, you don't just get it by thinking about coming to him. You don't just get it by going as close up to the line as you can, but never actually crossing over. You actually have to believe it and receive it in your heart if you want that true rest. You have to come to him. And not only do you come to him, but you come to him and you have to be yoked with him. Now, I'll explain in a moment why that's super important. But this idea of a yoke, if you've ever seen it before, it's, it's this bar that can typically be made of wood in ancient times. And it goes over the neck of one oxen and then it goes over the neck of the other oxen. And then they put a bar in underneath and those two oxen are yoked together. And you train them to plow together. And so the idea of being yoked to Jesus means that you're bound to him in a way in which you cannot escape. You're connected to him. But what's amazing about this connection is if you yoke yourself to anything else in this world, right, it's not going to be a light yoke. It's not going to be a yoke that's easy to carry because most of the things you yoke yourself to are only going to grind you down over time. But there's this man, Jesus, who says, if you'll come and be yoked to me and learn from me. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be, come to Jesus, to be connected to him and learn from him how to live. It's just that simple. I had a real broken relationship with my dad. He was a passive guy. He struggled with alcoholism the entirety of his life. He died in his mid-60s from heart failure because of alcoholism. One of the great tragedies of my life was that because my dad was an alcoholic before I was ever born, I only ever had half a father. He was a functional alcoholic, but his capacity was constantly diminished to even have conversation because it was a bloody morning 
a Bloody Mary in the morning, you know, a, a, a vodka and <laughs> orange juice or whatever in the afternoon, and it was just, there was a, only ever half a, half a person there, okay? And so this idea, come to me and learn from me. I was skeptical about it because I never had a person guide me in my life before. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe your dad was entirely absent, or maybe your parents struggled with addiction, or maybe you only saw your dad on your weekends. Or maybe your dad was in the house, but he was abusive. I mean, probably the majority of us in this room didn't have good experiences with our fathers. I've been in ministry a long time. I would say the majority of people that I encounter, even in the church, they don't have good experiences with their father. When you say God's a father in heaven, that can even be a scary thought for some people. And the idea that there would be someone that would want to be yoked to me when you've had abusive relationships with people, the idea of being bound to someone can be kind of scary, right? But the idea that I would be yoked to someone that I would learn from them, that better be a trustworthy person. Because in my life, all my experience of people has been there are not very many trustworthy people in this world, and especially tr not very many trustworthy leaders. You guys are blessed with guys like Charlie and Daniel and Trey here that are trustworthy people that carry the heart of Jesus. But what a comforting reality that this one that is inviting you to be yoked to him says, I am gentle and humble in heart. He's gentle. He's kind. He's the sovereign king of the universe, but he decided to be crucified for you. When he came into the world, it's pretty amazing. Angels in heaven appeared to the shepherds out in the field. You know, we always see this in our nativity stories and we hear the songs. I'm not going to sing them for you. Don't worry. Well, maybe I'll sing a little. Glory to God. That, that, that picture of Christmas Eve, you know, and the angels in the field. And those angels said something very, very interesting to the shepherds. They said, there is going to be a sign unto you that this Savior who is being born in the town of Bethlehem, the city of David, he's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, a manger is a feed trough, right? Again, if anybody's ever been around animals around here, you know that feed troughs are a disgusting place. It's got animal saliva and the food that the animals eat, it all drops down into the manger. We see these mangers in nativity scenes and they're all beautiful and they look more like cribs than actual animal feed troughs, right? But when it said this one who is born, who is the king of the world, the God of the universe, he was wrapped in rags and put in an animal feed trough. That's like saying this will be the sign to you that the baby is gonna be put in a refrigerator. I mean, it's a weird place for a baby. You guys following me? So what does it say if celestial beings, angels, are singing and saying to you, here's a sign of the coming king. We're, he's in the most disgusting place to put a baby. What does that tell you about that baby who angels are telling them to go worship? This is a very humble king. This is a gentle and lowly king. This is someone who doesn't Lord his power over you, but invites you to come and to learn rest from him. And he makes the promise twice. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Twice he says it. He says, come to me. I will give you rest. It's a gift of grace. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. 
There's a certain irony. He's saying, join yourself to me and I'll give you something freely. And then you'll find rest. Who wants to give rest? Who wants to find rest? It's a pretty good offer. Because he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's the exchange he's inviting us into. He's going to take what's weary and heavy and give you what's easy and what's light. Because he is gentle and humble. If we can see Jesus for who he really is, you would not want to refuse him tonight. If you could see the invitation that this kind, humble, merciful, loving king is giving you to take your weary and heavy and give you easy and light. And when we think about the picture of a yoke again, right? Weary versus easy, heavy versus light. I like this picture. Someone once shared it with me. Imagine there's this big ox and then there's just like a little baby ox with its head sticking through the other side of the yoke, okay? Jesus is the big, strong ox. You are the little bitty ox. The yoke is so on the shoulders of Jesus, you don't even feel the yoke. That's how they train little oxen is they put it next to a a big oxen and it just gets to trot along and it kind of thinks it's doing something, but it's not. The yoke, it's just bound up with the one and it's learning from the bigger oxen how to plow. But there's not even any exertion because its shoulders aren't even yoked in with the big oxen. I think that's the picture of what Jesus is inviting some in this room from. You have had a life that has been challenging and hard, weary and heavy. And Jesus is saying, come to me. I'm going to give you rest. Just come and learn from me. Walk alongside me. Be my disciple. And I'm going to give you a gift that no one in this world has ever given you. Why? Because I'm gentle and I'm humble. So that's the picture of the heavy versus the light. And then the idea of the weary versus the easy. He doesn't He doesn't plow and push you to to try and do things harder than you're able to. That's the amazing thing about grace. See, grace is not the ability to, um, grace is not the ability to just make everything easy necessarily, but grace is what makes the impossible possible. And there's some of you in this program that you've been experiencing grace for the first time in your lives in the last few weeks, where something that was formerly impossible was out of reach. It hasn't been easy. It's been labor. You've had to maybe yoke yourself to a team of people that have been helping you. Maybe you haven't been yoked to Jesus yet, but you've been yoked to a, a good facilitator or a good leader, and they've been showing you how to, how to move forward in your life. And it hasn't been easy, but it's been possible because you're experiencing the grace of God in community. And there's an invitation tonight to not just be yoked to other people that know Jesus, but to know Jesus for yourself. To enter into this one who says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I'm going to close with this invitation. I want you to consider in your life, really consider. And the contrast with gentle and lowly is that there are some some taskmasters. There are some people that might try to yoke themselves to you. And they're not gentle and lowly. They're actually harsh and punishing. (laughs) Nobody's ever had a boss like that in here, right? None of the good landing employees raise your hands, okay. But Jesus is saying, I'm gentle and I'm lowly. And if you'll come to me, learn from me. I'll give you rest for, I'll give you rest for your soul. 
And I think the invitation is to, to really realize this isn't someone who's laying down rules for you that you can't follow just so when you slip up, he can go, see, I knew it, you couldn't do it. That's how a taskmaster is, right? This one's saying, come to me, I'm gonna teach you the thing you don't know how to do. Maybe you don't know how to walk in freedom from your addiction. Maybe you don't know how to walk in relational health and purity because you're so sexually broken from your past. I had a lot of sexual brokenness in my past. I had to learn from the spirit of God how to walk in sexual purity in my marriage, stay away from pornography, just being real, right? I couldn't have done it on my own. I had to learn from someone else who is stronger than me. But the paradox is most people that are stronger than us, we fear because they're not gentle. But this one who says, I can make the yoke light for you, who's so much stronger than you are, his whole purpose of his strength is to serve you in gentleness and humility. Who would refuse an offer like that? If somebody awesome, strong, powerful, talented, gifted came to you and said, hey, I want to teach you, and the way I'm going to teach you is not to drive you hard or slap you around or treat you like a drill sergeant would, but the way I'm going to teach you is through humility and gentleness, if you'll just come learn from me you'll find rest. It's mysterious, but friends, I can tell you in this room, God's grace has transformed my life and it's been challenging and painful, but that grace has made what was impossible possible and it has transformed my life. And I can truly say to you, I have rest for my soul today in Christ. I know that if I were to walk out of this building, no one knows in this room what tomorrow brings, right? and I were to get into my vehicle and pull out of this building and get hit by a car and my life would come to an end, I know where I'm going to go and be forever in eternity. I told you guys about my dad earlier, the tragedy of how he died. It was a sudden cardio failure. And he died not knowing Jesus. Heartbreaking for me. I have no assurance that I'm going to go one of the, if you have family members in this room that you know we're Christians. If you decide to be a Christian as well, you can have assurance that you're going to be forever with the ones that you love. But if you don't have confidence in Christ and you don't have rest for your soul, you have no assurance of your eternity and you have no guarantee for tomorrow. So the question I would pose to you is, do you want to live a life that is weary and heavy laden or do you want a yoke that is easy and that is light? Do you want a leader that is gentle and that is humble or do you want to serve Satan, a taskmaster who is spiteful and hate-filled? The contrast is pretty clear if the Spirit of God would convince you just that the things that I am saying are true. And that's my closing prayer for you. I think I've laid it out pretty simply. We all have a choice. A broad road that leads to destruction or a narrow road that leads to life. A yoke that is easy or a yoke that is heavy. A yoke that leads to life and to rest or a yoke that leads to burden, oppression, and further addiction. Because even if you break free of your bondage in your own strength, you'll only transition your brokenness to pride. You'll only transition your sense of need, and you'll trade that in for a sense of self-assurance. But if Christ comes in and does it for you and through you, there's this mystery that you can say, my life is hidden in him. I have no strength to overcome these things on my own, but by the grace of God, I'm different than I was. By the grace of God, I'm changed. I've learned something from this man who was born in a manger and died on a cross. 
Jesus Christ, the sovereign of the universe, he's inviting you. Come to me. Come to me, you who are weary. Come to me, you who are heavy laden. Some of you feel it even in your chest right now. That invitation is for you tonight. Maybe you're not even here because you're part of this program. Maybe you're a friend of somebody in here. Maybe you're a parent or a loved one. But you know you've been more religious. You've known more about him than you have actually known him. And you're hearing that resounding invitation, come. Trade the heavy yoke of this world for the easy yoke of Christ. So what I want to do is I want to invite those in this room and say, I, I know that when you're talking about people that haven't made a decision, you're at that fork in the road and you, you haven't made the decision to take the narrow road that leads to life. You haven't made the decision to be yoked to Christ. You haven't made the decision to actually come to him and learn from him. That's the first group I want to pray for. If you'd say, that's me, I need to make that decision right now. I just want to invite you to stand all across the room. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you like say anything weird. I'm just going to invite you to stand so we can pray for you. So if there's anybody in this room, you know you need to give your life to Christ tonight. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you, guys. Anyone else? Amen. And maybe you've made that decision before, but you know you, you, you need to recommit your life to him. So I'm going to pray a prayer. You can repeat the words after me or you can pray it in your heart. But the most important thing is that you pray it with faith. That you actually believe the words that I'm about to say. And what I'm going to say is, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I want to follow you. I want to come to you. I want to learn from you. I want to trade my old life for the new life that you're offering. I want your spirit to fill me. I want your grace to come and change me. And as I pray that prayer, you just offer those words as sincerely as you can in your heart to God. He is listening to you right now. And you can say the words out of your mouth. You can whisper them. You can, however, however you're comfortable. If the worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up as I'm leading this prayer. Jesus, tonight I'm coming to you to make you king of my life. Forgive me for all of my sins. And just take a moment. Think about things that you know you regret having done. Forgive me for my lust. Forgive me for my sexual immorality. Forgive me for stealing. Forgive me for my drug addiction. Forgive me for the dishonor to my mother and father. Forgive me for the lying. He sees it all. He knows it all. He still invites you to come. He loves you. He welcomes you. Forgive me, Jesus, for all my sins. I want to trade my old life say this to him. I want to trade my old life for the new life you're offering me. Spirit of Jesus, come and fill me. Make me new today. Give me confidence that I'll be with you in eternity. Save my life. Be the king of my life. And help me to love you and serve you all the rest of my days. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Now, if everybody could stand up with me just for a moment, we're going to worship in just a second. If you prayed that prayer just now and you really believed it in your heart,
you've begun an exciting new season of your life. That's the commitment that you make. And I got to officiate a wedding. I got to officiate Rebecca. I don't know where she is. It was her sister's wedding last, last weekend. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, it was awesome. Her sister, Rachel. And, uh, but in, in the ceremony, you know, it's amazing because if anybody's ever been married in here, it's like you, you walk into the church or the chapel one way, and then this amazing thing happens. You say these words to each other and do this ceremony and now all of a sudden, Scripture tells us the two become one. It says this is a great mystery, but it speaks of Christ and the church. Now, how many of you know that a wedding does not make a marriage? You know what I'm talking about? Just because you have a wedding doesn't mean you... There are a lot of people that their marriages end on day one after the wedding. <laughs> a marriage doesn't make a wedding, but without... A wedding, you don't have the start of a marriage, do you? Every marriage starts with a wedding. Some of you just said your spiritual wedding vows to Jesus. You said, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to be yoked to you, right? That's the beginning of a beautiful relationship that you get to walk out if you choose to for the rest of your life. But what makes a marriage is that you wake up every day. And you look at that person, you say, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to take care of you today. I'm going to love you. I'm going to walk out those vows. I'm going to walk out that commitment that I made on that day that I put that ring on. And if you said those words to Jesus and you started that relationship with him today, it's the beginning of something, but you get to walk it out for the rest of your days. And for those in this room who you've been walking, I said we would pray for you, and you realize you've been, you've been on that hard road, but you're weary tonight, and you've been thinking about quitting. If you'd say, I'm in that place where I've been trying to serve Jesus, but it's been hard, and I'm just oh, scraping along on the path, I just want to pray for grace for you. I want to pray that you'd experience rest for your soul that Jesus offers and promises. You can just raise your hand all across the room, or if you want to come to this altar, you can come. We're going to pray for you.